Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through the channel, I hope you find it interesting. Now, if you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully you can be, I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. I'll try to get that taken care of. I generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. Uh, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today, we are talking with John Waddell of Peerless and Staven Bean and a host of other things as well as a Kentucky Colonel. So um, if I didn't steal too much from you, just kind of give, give us an idea of who you are. Yeah, uh, so my name is John Waddle. I, I uh, run the single barrel program there at Kentucky Peerless Distilling. So I always like to say I have one of the best jobs. Literally, I get to taste and great help our master distiller grade barrels and decide which ones are the most unique, which ones get held back, going to batches. Uh, then I get to meet people from all around the world that want to come in and buy their own private barrel. Uh, I also own a coffee company with a good friend of mine, Corey Welsh, called Staven Bean, where we specialize in barrel aging coffee. Um, been going now. We just had our one year anniversary about two weeks ago. So I've been about a year into it. Um, it's a lot of fun, man. You know, I couldn't ask for a better business partner either. He lives in new Orleans, so he gets to source all the beans, brings them up here, and then we'll choose unique barrels and, uh, unique beans based on flavor profiles. And we'll, uh, age them right there in the Rick house down there at Kentucky Peerless. Uh, Corky, the owner, um, is so nice and uh, has helped me along the way to getting this business up and running. Uh, then I also sit on the board of a nonprofit here called Kobe, um, where basically, you know, we try to raise money for the community uh, while also getting to do awesome barrel picks um, and help pick barrels and bottles to help raise money. So, uh, you know, I, there's there's about 57 different ways that we can go in this conversation. And my intent <laughs> is to go all of them. Um, but the, uh, I'll say on the Staven Bean thing, you know, I, Maybe I got the coffee way before I ever got to whiskey because I started drinking coffee. And I was like 12 years old. But I see your orders come through all the time, man. Yeah. So I, I was in the first wave and then um, I've got like three different coffee subscriptions. So usually if I can find a gap in my coffee subscription, like I need to sneak another uh, another bag in. I try to keep them in as fresh as possible and they're fantastic. Um, my brother is a huge coffee fan and not a whiskey fan. And so I usually send him some beans as well because um, he doesn't care about whiskey, but he does care about uh barrel aged beans which is an odd thing you know um for somebody who's like oh i love the taste of this i'm like hey let's drink whiskey and he's like no nah, i don't want to do that so it's, it's fantastic stuff but we'll, we may start on this single barrel curator um this is this is the job that was never at any career fair i ever went to i don't know if it was at your career fair or whatever because if it all. was maybe my life would look different but like how, how do you get to that job I mean, honestly, I always tell people, you know, right place, right time. It was just one of those crazy things where I had met Caleb, uh, our master distiller, um, through a mutual friend, uh, born and raised here in Kentucky. So always knew about whiskey and bourbon, loved it, uh, bartended a little bit. Um, but I was working with animals, right? I was like dead set, like I want to be a veterinarian. Like I want to I want to work around uh, some of these, you know, larger breeds and Happened to run into Caleb. Uh, he saw something in me, I guess, and he offered me a job at Peerless before we ever had product out. And uh, just kind of worked my way up through the up through the ranks there. You know, started out just rolling barrels, giving tours. Um, then product became available. And I'll never forget this day. I go in the lab, 
we got so many samples, right? We're getting ready to launch this two-year ride. And I just happened to ask Caleb, like, hey, can I taste one? He's like, yeah, give me your tasting notes on this. Um, tasted through a couple of them. He said, all right, I want you to come back tomorrow. We're going to do the same thing. Um, and really just fell in love with it. You know, uh, I don't know if that's a silly thing to say, but there is nothing better than drilling samples, tasting these barrels for the first time, um, and kind of get to experience uh, all of that. And I just kept on asking, like, hey, can I set up your – because he, he led the program at first. And then I was always just like on his coattails, like, hey, can I set up the room? I'll set up your room for you today for the selection. Can I help you taste barrels? And about a year into it, um, he had offered me the job to take over and to help run the barrel program. And if you could imagine, I think that was the quickest time I ever said yes to anything. Like before he could mm-hmm. even finish the sentence, I was like, absolutely, uh, I want to <laughs> do this. Um, so now I've been in it for like almost about four years running the program and uh, absolutely love it. Yeah, I think going on a single barrel pick is like every like whiskey nerd's dream, and that's just what you do now. Like that's 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 the job. Um, but beyond that, so you know, Peerless is a, is a relatively small operation um, with kind of a, a big name. You know, I, I'll say that at least in my in my opinion, and my opinion is the only one that matters in this room right now. Um, so you know, in the room I'm in, not like in this chat room, it sounded like, oh yeah, my opinion matters more than John Waddles. Um, so in the room that I'm physically sitting in, mine's the only one that matters. Uh, you guys do single barrels, you do small batches, you do a host of finishes. Um, how do you get to, you know, because like for the double oak, that's what I'm drinking right now is I have last year's double oak. I've been kind of milking this bottle forever because um, I live in the far western portion of the state and we never know when we're going to get the next thing. Um how do how do you guys do these types of blends? Is there a blending team? Are you the person? Is it you know, how does that work out? Um, so no, Caleb. You know, Caleb's got a good, uh, excellent palate. So it really is a group effort. You know, we'll get these barrels down, and always tell people. You know, it's not just we don't just dump a bunch of barrels and say, all right, this is what it's going to be. Um, Caleb hand selects each and every barrel. Um, we also have Nick. He's another distiller there. Um, and what we'll kind of do is, you know, we'll dump a couple barrels, uh, usually about four, let it sit. And kind of build the batch from there um we're very selective on the barrels that we put into these because you got to think we're not mass dumping you know four or five hundred barrels we're only putting about 25 to 30 barrels in each and every batch so every barrel has a very particular role they're going to play in the batches um so it's a little tedious and time consuming because it's not just something we do in a day you know it takes about you know a week or two process to build these batches um but we'll taste and hand select each and every barrel that goes into these and what I love about our double oak and the motto kind of Caleb has in the philosophy is, you know, we don't have a necessarily a set flavor profile. Like if you taste this year's double oak small batch that just came out last Saturday um, compared to last year, they're going to be different, um, similar in some ways. But, you know, there, there are going to be some uh, difference about them. It's it, it was one of my most anticipated and, 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 and liked releases of last year, but kind of rolling back into the single barrel curation just a little bit. Um, how do you pick the barrels that are part of, cause I assume it's not just, you know, every barrel in the Rick house um, that you're picking from, you may have 20 or 30 or 10 or five or, or whatever the number is. Like, how do you get to those? So, you know, we only do a hundred barrel selections a year. Um, so very small. We only make 10 to 12 barrels a day, roughly like 21, 2200 barrels a year. So, you know, say we taste 20 barrels, right? There may only be like one or two barrels that get selected into the program out of those 20 to give you an idea of like what the, um, the uh, turnaround rate is on, on some of these. I mean, 
or I mean, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's it's very selective. We, yep. We'll taste these barrels and we base them on uniqueness. You know, you got to think most of the barrels that go into the program are going to be very uh, off profile, right? If you've had our small batch, we like to put, you know, the crazy uh, unique barrels that we can find. I always tell them they're like our Easter egg barrels. You know, some will be mm-hmm. like strictly butterscotch. One, you know, I just did a selection um, last week with the Bourbon Hounds of Houston, right? And we had this one. I know it's going to sound crazy, but it's almost, it was almost like a, a little bit of like, it had like an AutoZone smell to it. If you can imagine mm-hmm. what AutoZone, but it was just so unique and different. So, you know, we're looking for, you know, just the most unique barrels that we can um, in, the or- in order to put into these programs that we have. I like that. And, you know, cause I think at least from my experience, I've only been on one barrel pick and um, the barrel that I wanted was the first one eliminated because it was the one that was the most off profile. And that's the direction like I kind of go, I'm like, I-, I want something that's, that's really unique. And then, you know, other people want, maybe the truest version of what, you know, a, a peerless bottle normally is like you get that, you get the small batch, but they find that in the, you know, the, the most refined version of it. And that's not a, I want something that's weird. You know, like I, I want the weird thing that everybody's like, why is this different? You know? And that's sort of why I fell for this, this peerless double Oak, at least for me, it ended up tasting like, um, have you ever had Mexican hot chocolate where it's got like cinnamon and oh, cream yeah. and all that, but there's the chocolate that's in there. Like that's immediately, you know, I've had a lot of double Oak products, but I've never gotten sort of that, that there, and it's a brand and I can't think of the name of it, but Nestle makes it in, in Mexico. Uh, my, my wife teaches ELL students. So we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about <laughs> Mexican food or whatever. Um, but so I, I imagine these single barrel picks are not always like super fun experiences. You know, what's, do you have people that come in that just have like a expectation that doesn't get met or like, how, how do you manage that? You know, luckily, no. I mean, um, I, I like to say, I like to go above and beyond, like say, you know, we only, only put three samples out in front of people. Um, when they come in, just because, you know, um, when you start to add too many, it becomes, it becomes very hard to make a choice. But, you know, I've had groups that come in and say, you know, I'm not really impressed or, you know, these barrels aren't what I'm looking for. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go pull more. You know, I'm not going to be happy unless they're happy leaving them. I've even told groups like, hey, if you're unsure about this barrel selection, let me get some more samples out for you. You know, just because, <clears throat> and what I like about when we're doing this is there's three of us that taste these barrels, right? It's not just on one person. And we all three have very different flavor profiles that we like. So I always like to tell people, I promise you, I will find something you like within the program. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's about getting them to come back to the one to purchase another barrel. So I always like to sure, make sure they, they leave happy. And once again, our acceptance rate into the program is, you know, like I said, we'll taste 20 barrels. We may only select two out of there. Um, mm-hmm. And we even have a grading system. You know, if I put a barrel that's been in four or five selection and no one's really picked it, we'll put it out, put it into a batch, and we'll grade some more barrels and find something else into there. So, you know, I always like to tell people, I'm not always, you know, <clears throat> just because they're in our pro- or my program or our program, doesn't mean that everyone's going to enjoy them, you know. And I think mm-hmm. uh, you just got to not get your feelings hurt or be so sensitive when people come in and say, yeah, I don't like this barrel or whatnot, because sometimes you need that outside input. To be like, all right, is this barrel really that great? Or do I just find it that interesting? 
Right. Well, I mean, and, and taste is subjective and, you know, you're, you're tasting a lot of whiskey and, um, some people just don't like a particular flavor profile and that's okay. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you, you're looking at a 10% or less acceptance rate of barrels kind of coming into the program to begin with. And you're only, I think you said a hundred, hundred different single barrels are going out roughly a year. That's, I, I assume you guys have a line that is longer than the hundred people that want to do that. How do you, how do, how do you, how do you select? Oh man, it's, you know, it's rough, you know, uh, because of the three tier system, you know, unfortunately we can't meet everyone's needs. You know, a lot of this we rely on our distributors, um, especially when it comes to some of these, you know, um, off premise accounts or on premise accounts, you know, we rely on them heavily to go in there, um, see what they're, what kind of business they're doing with us as a whole, you know, make sure they support our small batch, not just our single barrels too, as well. Um, but we do like to leave open spots to bring in new people every year as well. So, man, it's tough. Basically, we take all the info, get it on a waiting list, and we just kind of mark down to see who reached out first, um, you know, how much support do they give us and things like that. I would say mm-hmm. the hardest part, though, about the Sing Barrel program is not really the accounts. It's falling in love with some of these barrels. Like, when you taste some, like, I, I know where those barrels are. I'm like, God, that's such a good barrel. And it's hard because you want to put it in the selection because you want people to, to select it. But you're like, I kind of like having it here and pulling a sample every now and then and uh, sipping on this barrel. Uh, and that's one of the biggest, biggest things. But, you know, it really is hard because I like to say yes to everybody. And mm-hmm. I get in trouble a lot. I'm like, yeah, you can have a barrel. You can have a barrel. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. You can't promise a barrel to everyone. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully we'll we'll kind of gradually as we get more product because you got to think we got to make sure we save enough back each year as well to have yep. older age statements. Um, so, you know, selecting these groups, it's tough, but, you know, I think we do a good job at circulating new people into the program and not just the same people repeating selecting barrels every year. So you get in trouble for being the Oprah of barrels, you know, everybody yeah, yeah, gets one. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. The- do you, do you try to keep back a bottle from every barrel that you send out so you can have like a library of everything you've done? Or is that just way too much over? Cause I mean, that'd be a hundred bottles a year and you've been doing oh, it for yeah. two or three years. It's like a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a job. Any of us are willing to store for you. Like if you wanted to do that, we'll, <laughs> we'll store the barrels on your or bottles on your behalf. There, there's a couple that I'm like, I'll even ask like the, the account, like, Hey man, I'm, can I have a bottle out of here? I'll purchase it from you. And yep. they're always more than happy to, but the great thing is, is when you bottle these, you got to blow out your lines, right? Afterwards, mm-hmm. we call them squeezing. So I at least get like a 200 ml nice. of it with a, with a sticker on there just to make sure. But, heck, I wish I could say I've kept a bunch of them, but I drank them. I mean, I drank literally anything and everything I have. So that's the main problem is I'm like, God, I wish I still had a bottle of that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the purpose of it is. You know, it, it, we're, some of us getting to the point where our purchasing outpaces our consumption because it would not be healthy for me to drink at the rate that I buy. Um, but if you're, if you're starting with 200 mLs, maybe that makes life more simple. Um, you know, cause maybe you can burn through those, but what, what is your process whenever you go in tasting? Like you have a pro everybody's kind of got their own thing. And once they've done a tasting two or three times, like what's, what does your process look like? You like me personally, or just like as like peerless, the program. Yeah. We'll, we'll do you first and then we'll do peerless second. You know? So, I mean, it is a ritual, you know, in the morning I try to make sure, you know, I brush my teeth at least like. Uh, first thing in the morning, so I know once I get into work, usually it's only about 30, 40 minutes, we dive into taste. I make sure I don't drink coffee, anything spicy or anything like that, too. Um, but, you know, I'll, <laughs> I like to put on some classical music. You know, they, they built us a, a – I got a brand-new office down there that we do all our sensory training and tastings and things like that. And uh, I like mm-hmm. throwing a little music, 
uh, Caleb and Nick will come in there. We'll kind of sit down. And, you know, while it is business, you got to have fun with it. Um, so, you know, it's just it's all about enjoying the people that you're around, too, as well. And, you know, other than that, I really don't have a process. You know, I just like I said, I just try to make sure my palate's good. Um, mm-hmm. No medicine, no allergy meds. You know, you got to be careful about what you uh, take, too, as well, because that will affect your palate. I mean, there's mm-hmm. days where Caleb will come in and be like, hey, my palate's way off. You know, I had this and this to eat this morning or last night or, you know, I'm on allergy meds or cold meds. So, mm-hmm. but I will say my palate's the best early in the morning. Um, you know, I think everyone has a certain time of day as well that they really enjoy tasting over, you know, the morning versus afternoon. But I feel like my palate's just the freshest in the morning. So I like to knock it out first thing in the morning when we get there. Mm-hmm. And so then somebody shows up and they want to do a tasting. So how, how do you run these events? You, you've got three samples. You've got a group of people. What's the instruction for the the new to the single barrel selection person? This, so, you know, when they come in, I always like to tell them like, hey, um, you know, I don't do proofs. I don't put age statements. I don't put proofs on these. I don't even provide tasting notes because it's not about what I see um, mm-hmm. or what I taste. I always tell the groups like, hey, this is your show. I'm here just to answer questions. Now, um, I always tell them, like, however you like to taste them, it's your all's process. I don't want to tell you all how to come in here and how we're going to taste through the barrels. So what I typically do is I have a glass of our small batch out. You know, that way they can kind of get a generalization of, you know, what our small batch is. And then it really lets you look through these samples to see how unique they are, whether they're trying to go for something completely off flavor profile or something geared more towards a small batch. Um, and I always just tell them, take your time, because I don't pull those samples till the, the day of. You know, I've already, the day before I go through, I'll taste samples. And the objective is to find three samples that are very different from each other. Um, I don't like putting anything close together um, that may resemble one another. So I always tell them, no, take your time. I know you're excited to be here, but give them about five or 10 minutes to sit in this glass. That's why I always give them small bets too. So they kind of warm up their palate, sip on that. Um, Start off some conversations, just kind of get an idea of who they are, if they're new. Or, you know, just catching up with them. You know, I always try to tell people, you know, it's, it's about the people you come in there and enjoying the company that you have, too, as well. And, you know, uh, I like to build friendships with them and just kind of shoot the shit. And then, we, mm-hmm. uh, then we'll dive in after about, you know, five or ten minutes once they've, once, they've, once they've opened up. Then we'll go through, nose and taste everything and uh, just kind of get a feel for what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, and I, I like that, you know, because, you know, whiskey is a communal beverage, and at least the, most brown spirits to me are, you know, uh, there's an intent to have uh, an experience with people. It's not like going to a bar and ordering, you know, a severely mixed drink that has clear alcohol in it. You've got kind of a destination in mind, whether it's, you know, you're going to go to the dance floor, you're going to try to get drunk, like whatever your plan is varies. But most of the times whiskey is, I want to spend some time around some people. Now I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do the other things. Um, and kind of building that community environment while they're tasting through it maybe settles them into how they're going to drink it when they get home too, right? And so it kind of completes that experience, or at least it would feel like that way to me. Exactly. And that's, it's, I'm glad you said it because, you know, when we're tasting through these barrels, you know, a lot of the time people will say like, all right, this barrel, I can sit at home and drink, you know, four or five glasses of this with a cigar. Or mm-hmm. they may like the barrel like, hey, this is the one I pull out special for when some someone comes over and they just want to taste something really unique yeah. and different, but it's not going to be your everyday drinker that you have. Yeah. So you, you've got these two barrels out of 20, roughly, that you're picking on a regular basis. Do you go back to the other 18 and kind of keep up with their progress and maybe they eventually make it in? Or is it like we did these 20, these 18 are going for small batch blends, and these two are it? 
Oh, no, we have a whole section we call um, X with promise, right? So we've tasted mm -hmm. it. Uh, maybe the finish is lacking or, you know, the nose, you know, needs a little bit of work on the aromatics. And we'll put it back. We uh, track what Rick they're in. We may move them around a little bit. And we won't revisit them probably to about a year later or maybe once it goes through another heat cycle or anything. Uh, when I say heat cycle, we don't temperature control anything. I just mean mm -hmm. as like the, as you know, Kentucky, you just yeah. let Mother Nature do her thing here. Um, so, you know, yeah, we have a whole process. Just because they don't make it in the program, we do have like uh, what we like to call, we just keep our eye out on this barrel. Like, hey, it's going to turn and it's going to be fantastic when it does. Mm -hmm. So do you guys ever come across a barrel that's just absolutely irredeemable? Like this is just no good anymore. Like, what do you do with that? Um, we'll let it keep aging. You know, we have a lot of faith, you know, I always hate when people say like, Oh, we don't make bad barrels here. Every mm -hmm. distillery is going to have barrels that just, you know, for some reason, mm -hmm. what else, whatever or not, they, they just don't turn around or, uh, the flavor just isn't good. But, you know, we'll keep an eye on them. Uh, sometimes we may double oak them um, just to see if maybe like, hey, let's see if we can put this in another barrel, see if it helps turn. Um, but, you know, we have quite a bit that we're still just waiting on and hoping maybe they'll maybe they'll get better as they get older. Um, but we try not to put even if we don't like a barrel, we don't want to put it into our small batch. Right. Because that's still going to affect the flavor because we don't mm -hmm. use that many barrels. Um, so really, we just try to keep a close eye on it. Uh, move them around a little bit, you know, maybe put it up a little bit higher in the ricks because we only use single story rick housing. We don't do multi levels. We go about five or six higher in our ricks. So it's just about being patient. You know, you can't rush it. So as Corky likes to say, patience builds character. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what we believe in our whiskey too there. Patience is just, patience is a terrible thing. Yeah, but and, and 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 I like that. You know, you said anybody who says they don't make bad bad whiskey um, is probably not telling the truth. You know, I think about I, I make grilled cheese for my kids all the time, but I can sit down and I can make a hundred grilled cheese, and I guarantee you at least three of them are going to be burnt terribly. And I'm going to do the exact same thing I've done for the other ninety seven. It just happens that way, right? That's yeah. variables kind of come into play, but not everybody that comes through the door is going to be able to have the the single barrel experience at Peerless, right? Um, because they're just a visitor tourist, whatever, you know, I've been to Louisville probably, you know, six times in the last you know year or so, and none of them have been for a, a peerless single, a single barrel pick. What, what do I do if I come in otherwise? Like I am a non single barrel picker. Um, what's the experience like at, at peerless for me? Um, we do tours and tastings. And like I said, the great thing about peerless is we're located right in the heart of downtown Louisville, um, right off 10th and main. And we're in, a, in an old tobacco warehouse. And we do everything on site. So we cook there, distill there, bottle there. We have a rig house there on site. Um, so when you come in and you do a tour, you see the whole operation, our grain mill, everything there. Um, we also have tastings scheduled. Uh, we just finished the construction of a new tasting room as well because we were turning so many people away because our tours and tastings were booked. Um, Corky and them really wanted to try to take care of everyone. So we just built a brand new tasting room. So you can actually, we do tastings in there every 30 minutes. You can't schedule them. They're just there mm -hmm. for our walk-ins that come in. Um, maybe the tours are booked, but they still want to come in. So uh, we have a brand new tasting room in honor of Corky's father. It's called the Ace Taylor Tasting Room. Um, that You can come in and taste anything that we have to offer there too as well. Or you can just come in the gift shop, look around, and hang out with Rye, our distillery cat, um, up there in the <laughs> gift shop. And I... I, I, I... You know, it's one of those things I had read a number of times that you guys are in an old tobacco warehouse, but it just doesn't ever completely register. Um, the company that I work for 
we had uh, it's an agricultural software company and we were actually operating out of our old tobacco barns and then they moved us into a new high-tech office in a tobacco warehouse so I'm, I'm familiar with the environment but ours is obviously very very different um so in the the tastings you have access to everything that, that is available um i know you guys have done some finishes in the past what's what's the finish game like at peerless Man, you know, I, I like it because we're, we're doing things. You know, our first ever finish that we had done, no one had done one that I had seen. It was an absinthe finish that we did. And I always tell people it is a love or hate. You either got to like black licorice, like there is no in-between on this one. Mm-hmm. But it went fantastic. We couldn't keep uh, we couldn't keep it in. Um, we did one barrel pick with it um, up in Chicago at Benny's. They, they loved it up there. And it's just, it's such a unique finished barrel. We did rye. Uh, we put rye in these um, absinthe barrels from Copper and Kings. And it was just fantastic. Uh, then this year we have, we had our rum finish release come out that we did. Um, very different. You know, if you're used to like um, Angel's Envy, um, their rye, we did bourbon in our rum mm-hmm. finish. And it's just so unique. That's dark fruit, sweet on the nose. Um, the palate really comes across great. It's got a little bit of a dry finish to it, but I enjoy that in it um, on the rum finish that we have. Uh, we're doing another absinthe release this year um, coming up in October. We'll have some more coming out. So, you know, Caleb and them, they're just trying to do things different. They're trying to do mm-hmm. things um, that no one else is doing. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really do enjoy experimenting with these finishes that we're, we're creating. And, and the absence fi- absinthe finish, I did not get a bottle of it, but I got to try it. And I didn't get a bottle specifically because I don't like absinthe to begin with. Like it's not black licorice is not a flavor for me, but I can objectively look at it and say, okay, for what it is after, this is good, right? I yeah. don't like it, but, you know, I understand the flavor profile of absinthe. I understand the pl- flavor profile of rye, how these merge together for a person who liked absinthe and or rye this is a thing that they could absolutely be on board with. It's just, it, it, it wasn't for, you know, me specifically. And um, on the rum finish, that was one that like I wanted to make the trip to pick up because um, I enjoy super dry things. Like if you can just kind of suck all the moisture out of my mouth, that's um, a thing that I'm interested in, which is sort of weird. Like that's a weird thing to say. I acknowledge that. Um, you know, you're not the first one to say that. Though. I mean, people come in there all the time like, oh, man, I love the dry finish on this mm-hmm. because you're still obtaining the flavor on your palate. It's just yep. drying out your palate a little bit. And it does leave like a, because we don't chill filter or charcoal filter, you know, we keep all those delicious oils. So it has a nice coating mouthfeel. But, yeah, it has a little bit of a dry finish, which which I really enjoy, too. In it. So. So pivoting, I guess, a little bit, you, know, you you do some, and I say it's pivoting a little bit, you do some volunteer work slash board work with Kobe. Um, so what is Kobe for the, I, I, I'm aware of it, um, but kind of what is Kobe? It's uh it stands for Kentucky's original black bourbon enthusiast. Um, you know, it's just a group of, group of people. There's only about, we have about 65 members now, 63 members, um, and it's just a great way to enjoy your, your bourbon. You know, we, we always, our motto is you come for the bourbon, but you stay for the community. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a good group of people that get together. We like raising money. Um, we, work, we work a lot with Apron um, to help raise money for whether it's just school supplies, um, people in need, uh, just anything and everything. We try not to concentrate on just one area. And we do barrel picks. I run our barrel, our program there. I sit on the board and help uh, organize barrel picks throughout the year. Uh, we have a big event in December called Bourbon and Benevolence, where we do live auction items, silent auction as well. 
And, you know, what I always say, what I love about Kobe the most is, you know, we're all on Discord together in a big group chat. Mm-hmm. And it's just a way, if you like getting out and about and you want to have a drink with someone or share a bottle, you can always find a Kobe member to go hang out with um, at all different types of establishments around the city. So just a good group of people, you know, that like to get together, share share a couple pours and, you know, also help out in the community as well. So so bourbon and benevolence, that, that's a... You, you, you touched on it. It's a, there, there's some auction, but is there, are there other things that kind of go along with bourbon and benevolence? Like as far as like, you know, other events that we do and things yeah. like that. Oh yeah. We, um, it changes every year. You know, bourbon and benevolence is like the only thing that we do every single year for sure mm-hmm. in December. Um, but other than that, we do all different types of fundraisers throughout the year. It just depends on, you know, we always look for uh, new members to say, Hey, if you have any suggestions or you want to do something, mm-hmm. you know, bring it to the group and we'll try to organize something. Uh, to put it together, whether it's a, a poker game, you know, to help raise money or um, we'll do raffles, just raffle off bottles during the year too to help raise money. So it's, it's anything and everything you can possibly think of. So if, if a person were wanting to be a part of Kobe, um, Kobe, Kobe, however it's going to be pronounced. <laughs> yeah. if, if you want to be a part of the organization, you know, is, like, what, what is that? What is the process to say, you know, I want to participate. I want to donate. I want to, you know, Whatever. You can, just, you can do, we have a website and just go right on the website, just uh, um K-O-B-B-E, and you can just apply there for a membership. Um, and what we do is, you know, we try to look together as a board. So, you know, it's a whole questionnaire. Tell us a little bit about yourself, why you want to join. And we always tell people, you know, if you're joining the group just to get bottles, you're going to be very disappointed because um, mm-hmm. that's just not what we do there. Um, obviously, you know, whiskey is a good part of it. Um, but once again, it's just more about getting more involved in the community, um, hanging out with a bunch of people and, you know, just like I said, I can't say enough, just trying to raise money for people in need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's a possibility that somebody showing up just to get bottles can transition into something a little bit more um, valuable as far as, you know, like relationships and relationship building. Because I think about, you know, being on the far western of the state, there's very few organizations. And so I see these things pop up. I'm like, you know, I, I should send some money that way. I, I waste money on far worse things on a regular basis. I should send some good somewhere. Um, but, you know, like you said, you're, you're in Discord. If you want to go out and have a drink, uh, you can get a hold of somebody and go out and do that. But um, there's not really an option on the western end of the state. Like, hey, you guys want to come to Murray? You can sit down and have a drink in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> not exactly the same behavior, but uh, uh, every year, whenever it rolls around to the auction, to the things that are kind of uh, transpiring with the group, uh, I know I'm always kind of keeping an eye open and uh, interested to see the, you know, kind of what, what comes out of those things. How did you get in, like, how did you get uh, drawn into this organization? Once again, right place, right time. Uh, You know, there's a establishment here in Louisville that I absolutely love. You know, it's one of the best restaurants here in town. Um, It's called Bourbon Bistro. Uh, Jason Bronner, who's the owner, and he also owns Buzzard Roost Whiskey. If you haven't heard of that, fantastic stuff they're doing. And uh, I used to go up there all the time, just after work, stop by, have a drink, hang out. And Stefan, he's like our liaison. Uh, but sitting at the bar, he's like, uh, hey, you know, what's going on? I see you up here. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm with Kentucky Peerless. I'm John Wadle. And he just said, have you ever heard of Kobe? He said, Jamar. He's right, sitting right down at the bar. He's our president. Um, you want to come down and hang out with us? I mean, literally invite me to come down there and sit. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Jamar was like, hey, why don't you start coming to some of our meetings? And this is how, like, blind I was to it. I was like, yeah, I love I thought they were just inviting me because I was in the, worked in the industry. Right. So I was like, yeah, I went to, like, two of their meetings. And um, 
at one point I said, you know, how do I get in here? And he goes, what do you think I've been inviting you here for? He's like, you kept walking off when we talked about club business. And I was like, well, I didn't think I was supposed to be, you know, a part right. of that or hear that. And he was like, start laughing. He's like, no, he's like, we want you in here. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been in there now for about two years. And like I said, just right place, right time, happened to run into them. Um, and when you click with people, you just click, you know, uh, yeah. And it just made sense. You know, I wanted to get more involved in the industry and something with a purpose to not just, uh, oh, we pick, you know, 20 barrels a year. It was just, hey, we like to have a good time, raise money and uh, just hang out. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Kobe. We've talked about Peerless. Let's talk about some coffee. You know, co coffee was maybe my first thing that I ever got like beyond normal obsessed with, you know, because you know, I was drinking coffee, obviously, before I was drinking whiskey. Um, where, how did you begin your like journey with coffee? Like mine began in my grandparents' house; they had coffee around at all times. Um, I, I, I'm just waiting for my dog to bark. <laughs> I've been sitting here waiting for it. It's like, oh, she's being so good. Uh -huh. It's bound to happen. Yeah, it's um, it's gonna happen sooner or later. But like, you had a beginning with coffee. Where where, where did that happen? So, hey. Um, Sorry, sorry about that. No, you're fine. Suki. She is a little spitfire. Um, so, you know, the pandemic happened. Um, you know, we shut down for tours. Hey, quick. Sorry, man. Uh, we shut down for tours. Uh, production was still going on. So, you know, I had a little bit of free time. And it's, uh, you know, I saw a lot of my friends, like, lose their job or anything, mm -hmm. stuff like that, which couldn't find work, had to go on unemployment. And not that I ever had to worry about that, but I also thought to myself, like, man, I'm really lucky that I still have a job, but um, what would I do if I if I wasn't here at Peer? Like, what could I possibly do? I mm -hmm. uh, always loved coffee, and I saw two different companies that were doing barrel-aged coffee. Um, you had Cooper's Cast, and you had Oak and Bond. Neither one of them are located in Kentucky, right? Uh, one's mm -hmm. up in Maine, and one's uh, South Carolina that we have. Hey! And I was like, why is the number one coffee, barrel-aged coffee, not in Kentucky? Like, it just didn't make sense. It'd be like the number one whiskey not being, um, or number one bourbon not being in Kentucky, a little bit in my opinion. Um, hey, Sue, quit it. Uh, so I started experimenting. I was like, all right, I can do this. Like, I taste barrels. And that's like a lot of time these barrels, when we dump them, they just go back to a cooperage, right? So I was like, how can I recapture some of these aromatics and some of these flavors um, from these barrels? So I literally started with like a plastic tub. Uh, mm -hmm. Hold on one second, man. No, you're good. You're good, man. Let me, uh... This is the life we all live. I have pets as well. It's um, I've been waiting for them to just go nuts. Uh, yeah, at least, you know, I don't have any kids, but I got two dogs that are just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, so I literally started by using some barrel char and I put it a little bit in a plastic tub and I put some coffee beans, some green beans in there. And I was like, all right, let, let's see how this works. I kept it in there for, I don't know, like three or four weeks. I was using a, just a small roaster in town to roast them for me. And just to see if we had anything. And I, I'll never forget, he's like, man, he's like, this is good coffee. He's like, uh, mm -hmm. what bean is this? I was like, oh, it's just a, it's a Honduran bean I, I bought. I uh, put it in a rye barrel. I mean, I put it in a tub with some char from one of these rye barrels that we dumped. 
And he's like, well, let's roast it. He's like, do you have any of it before it went into the barrel? And I was like, yeah, it's like, uh, sure do. So we roasted it before barrel aging and after, and there was a huge difference in, in, within the coffee bean that we had there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Corey Welsh, you know, he runs, uh, he sits on the board of the New Orleans Bourbon Festival that we have and uh, down New Orleans. And I'm so sorry, man, my dogs are going freaking nuts right now. No, it's fine. No uh, worries, man. Uh, so he had come into the distillery. He was in town. We were still closed. And he was like, what are you doing? What are you up to these days? And I was like, man, I was like, check out this barrel-aged coffee that I'm doing. I was like, I'm experimenting with this. And my idea was just to have two coffees, bourbon and rye. You know, mm-hmm. I think I have uh, access to all these barrels. Hey, quit. And uh, he immediately, like within 10 minutes of me explaining to him, showing the coffee, he's like, I want in. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. I live in New Orleans. Um, you know, he's an engineer for Shell, so he has a full-time job outside of this. He's like, we can literally get any coffee beans we want to from these coffee ports down here. Yep. So he came along, uh, invested some money into it. I mean, he really saw something, and he really kind of helped make my dream uh, a little bit of a reality, too. So we went from having just bourbon and rye to sourcing rum barrels, orange curacao barrels, cognac. Um, cherry bitters, peach bitters, and we just la- when we launched, we had about ten different styles of barrel aged mm-hmm. coffee that we did. Which some people are like, "You're crazy! You had you got ten different products," but we wanted to show people that we were more than just you know bourbon bourbon barrel aged coffee. We wanted to take some really unique beans and find some really unique barrels. And one of my favorite ones that we did was the vanilla extract barrel that we had. Um, if you've never smelled like pure vanilla extract. It smells absolutely amazing. Um, so once we got the ball rolling on that, you know, uh, it was kind of a uh, sky's the limit for us. So we use Quills. It's a local roastery here in Louisville. They make fantastic coffee. Um, so they actually roast everything for us. Uh, then what I love about this too is, you know, your friends. We had uh, another friend, Jessica Ann, uh, who we were brokering barrels through, getting some of the barrels. Uh, she had the bright idea to start mingling some of these barrels which we have a whole cocktail series that we do we have one called the sidecar and it's where we took uh, a costa rican bean put it in an orange curacao barrel and then we blend that with an el salvadorian that we do in bourbon barrels and you know that's two key ingredients in what you like to call a bourbon sidecar Uh, then we have a manhattan a mai tai uh, an old-fashioned so thank goodness for her because she really uh her creative mind really help us kind of you know take it to another level because no one was doing anything like that as well um, like i said you just had cooper's cast and oak and bond mm-hmm. um, that were kind of doing barrel aged coffee and we really uh, my main goal was i want the number one barrel aged coffee to be in kentucky um and it was just you know it was a lot of fun too i uh, really enjoyed the journey you know we now in about seven different krogers um mm-hmm. thanks to chris over there at krogers that hits like their spirits department uh we have an online website um, we're in a couple restaurants, too, around town as well. So it's been really exciting because this got way bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. You know, I was just trying to make some money on the side, uh, mm-hmm. have a little coffee business. Um, but now, you know, it's it's really taken off. You know, and, and you answered a question that I didn't even have, but I actually did have. Like, it's it's a thing that I thought about in the past, but um, did, forgot to write it down is, you know, like, how did you get to the cocktail blends? Because I was like, surely they didn't make 50 gallons worth of a cocktail and throw it in a barrel to barrel age and then put beans in it. Because that would, 
that would be borderline insane, but that's really, really smart. And, and, you know, thinking, be able to take these different components, kind of blend it together to make it. That's, I like that. And, and they're fantastic blends for sure. I mean, like the, the thing that I always had as a problem with barrel aged coffees in the past is that they very much smelled like barrel aged, but I didn't get a ton of it on the flavor profile, right? Oh. Like it was almost like it was sprayed down with rye on its way out the door and then it didn't carry any of the rye flavor with it. And, and, and you guys are distinctly different from that, at least in my interpretation. Um, you know, we, we did an experiment here uh, locally. My brother, like I said, he's super, super into coffee, he roasts his own beans and does a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, he wanted to do his own barrel age. And so I had to, I took my dad to go pick up his maker's uh, bottle. You know, he's in the, the maker's mark uh, club where you kind of get to go and dip your own bottle or whatever. While we were there, they were selling the 46 cask staves. And so it's like, all right, we'll get some staves. We'll make a box and put your beans in it and see what happens. And, you know, the first three versions of it were terrible, just absolutely terrible because I mean, they're, they're dried out. And so finally I was like, all right, here, I'm going to give you some whiskey makers 46. You spray down the staves. So they actually have some whiskey to it. Let them kind of, you know, feel it out and it ended up turning out really, really good. But um, going the route of barrel char to begin with seems pretty smart. Seems pretty, pretty smart. Um, and if anybody goes to your Instagram, they can see you guys kind of emptying out the the barrels from the um, the aging of the beans itself. Okay. What was good? No, just say, yeah, the key to it is the freshness of the barrels. You know, you can't mm-hmm. use the dried out barrel. Um, yep. So, like I said, we'll dump some of these barrels that go up to the, our gift shop. And I'll literally look at Caleb and be like, I need that barrel. Like, the the whiskey's fantastic. It smells amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I want to use this barrel. And that's really, like, um, what I like to say I take pride in is hand-selecting each and every barrel that we use. Um, and there's nothing better than still having some of that beautiful alcohol in there when you put the beans in there. Because, once again, we put them in green. We do not roast them first before we put them in the barrel. We'll put them in green, um, let them sit anywhere between two to four weeks. And we don't, they don't just sit on a coffee floor. They go up in a rick and age with other whiskey and bourbon um, mm-hmm. and sit there until we'll pull them out um, as time goes on and roast them and figure out if they're ready or not. So what was it? I mean, I, I know what the, the outcome of the, the initial launch was because I was trying to make sure I was one of the first people on the website buying beans whenever it came available. Um, did the initial demand meet your expectation or exceed? Like, did you know that it was going to be that popular from the onset? I, I didn't know what to expect. But, you know, the one thing I love about the bourbon community is they're all so supportive. So, you know, we've been like mm-hmm. hyping up saying, hey, this is when it launches. Um, and shout out to uh, Haley Cruth. She uh, runs Moxie Mate. She helps small businesses launch. So we had a little hiccup in our website. And it was like two weeks before we were supposed to launch. And we didn't have an active website. Um, mm-hmm. And she used to work at Peerless, run our marketing. So I reached out to her. And she was like, no problem. Don't worry. I'll have this up and running from you. And I'll never forget like my anxiety the day we launched. Because I, I still had to go to work, right? And uh, yep. we, I run all our shipping, too. And I'm just watching these orders pile in. And it was a good thing. I was excited. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to ship out 80 orders when I get off work right. today and start packaging these things. Um, so, yeah, it was it was so good to see. But at the same time, I'm, like, panicking, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to ship out all this coffee as well. Um, so it was, you know, it was so good to see. And what I love about it is seeing the names that come across these orders, too, like mm-hmm. – uh, People that maybe I'll even met like once or twice uh, getting right on there and purchasing. It wasn't just like one or two bags, you know, it was like three or four bags they were getting yep. um, and ordering. And it was just, uh, 
man, it's one of the best feelings in the world to see the support from uh, the whiskey family. Yeah, I know there's, and it seems to be a lot of overlap between like whiskey nerds and 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 coffee nerds and cigar nerds. They're like all the same people. <laughs> they all like the same things. I don't know. Maybe we've got the same degree of just need for drugs in our soul. I guess is what it really boils down to. Well, you know, uh, I gave uh, I gave Corky, our owner, five percent of the coffee company because you know he had helped me out and he didn't want it, but I was like, you're gonna take it. I was like, you're letting mm-hmm. me use the distillery um, equipment yeah. and everything. And then what's amazing is when I do these barrel selections with the groups, after the selection, they select their barrel. I'm like, all right, now when we dump this barrel, because most people are coffee people, I'm like, you want you want your own barrel-aged coffee? And they're like, absolutely. So mm-hmm. right now I have a three-way collaboration going on with um, uh, the Adventures Club. They're up in Chicago. They had selected a barrel of rye. We dumped that barrel. And then I introduced them to the Single Barrel Cigar Company out of Tampa. Love these guys, uh, the mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Bourbon Boys. Um, and they're now, I have a, a barrel with about 800 cigars aging in it. And then after the cigars are done aging, then we're going to put coffee in there. So the first time we've done a tobacco coffee or tobacco barrel aged coffee, um, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm really excited to, to get that one going. So when are these cigars going to be ready? Um, they're coming up in October. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bourbon guys and the Single Barrel Scar Company, they're coming up October. We're going to uh, break open the barrel and uh, package all these cigars, about 800 of them um, that you can find. They got a website. They're down in Tampa. Great group of guys, and uh, their cigars are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've come across them a number of times because – you know, I, I don't have, I have a pa- I don't have a passion for cigars. I like cigars. I have a passion for whiskey. I have a passion for coffee, but I like cigars. But this is, this is a thing that I'm in, in, incredibly, incredibly interested in. Is there an intent to ever take one of your coffee barrels and then pass it back to Peerless to put whiskey in? Or is that even pop? Like, is that you know, I've, FDA I've compliant or whatever? I've asked Caleb if he'd be interested. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see. We'll see. You know, hopefully... I think if we did that, I would actually probably roast the coffee first, then put mm-hmm. it in the barrel to really co- capture more of uh, the essence of the roasted coffee and not like uh, the green beans. But we, we've had some talks about it. Uh, you know, I just got to convince them like, hey, man, this is going to be fantastic. Like no one's done this before. Mm-hmm. Like we should, we should definitely do this. And I, I came across this uh, some time ago. There's a particular way of aging tobacco inside of uh barrels effectively whiskey barrels that haven't been uncharred where you can kind of put wet tobacco in it you let it sort of ferment and do its own thing and i you know like this is a thing maybe like you know somebody needs to do some wet fermentation happens a lot in louisiana uh wet ferment wet ferment tobacco then put coffee beans in it then we put whiskey in it now i have my cigar and my coffee and my cigar and my whiskey and my coffee and my whiskey and i can have all three of these things interchangeably regardless of what time of the day it is See, I like the way your mind's turning right now. You're just already you're you're like me, just thinking of different ways and stuff to do. This is this is the problem. This is the problem. But so so, what's the best way to brew your coffee? Are we you know are we putting it through just a regular drip coffee? Are we pour over like French press? Man, what what's what's your thing? I hate to admit it, but I've turned into like such a coffee snob. Like mm-hmm. I went from using like Keurigs now to I used to be really big in like the Chemexes. But there is nothing better than a nice French press in the morning. Uh, yep. You know, I can get it going, take a shower, come out, stomp it down, pour it in. I'm out the door. Uh, but like this morning, I I'm like a I have a espresso machine, a, a Rubeo, and mm-hmm. there is nothing better than a good espresso with a little bit of steamed milk in it uh, to start your day off, or just 
as I'm tinkering here, setting my football lineup for the day. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say French press or just espresso. Now my business partner, Corey, he's more of a purist, you know, he's black, black only yep. where I like, I like a little bit of cream in my coffee. Cause I think it plays mm -hmm. well with some of the barrel aged too, uh, coffee that we have. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a whole different experience. I'll even take my French press with me if I travel. Like I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I gotta have a French press, little hand grinder. Uh, mm -hmm. just, it, make, it makes a difference. Now, if you get to where you can't take the French press because it's glass or whatever, you can try an arrow press, which is a different thing altogether, you know, but gives you a little bit of a mix of like French press and espresso because you're using some degree of pressure on it. Um, that's, that, that's, that's a thing that uh, a, a West coast uh, rapper that I interviewed a couple months ago, like that was his thing about 10 years ago. He was really into these arrow presses and you just kind of sit on top of a coffee cup. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on the French press thing. I, that, when I have the time, you know, because I have two kids and so I got to get up in the morning, make sure everything's going. And so it's, you know, I try to buy a nice drip machine. So it's not like burning the beans. It's not doing all these things, but Saturday morning is, is French press day. It's absolutely you know, French press day. And what I love about coffee, like you said, you can nerd out about coffee just as much as whiskey because, you know, depending on your grind size, your temperature mm -hmm. that you're bringing your water to, um, it's all going to extract different flavors. You can over extract, under extract your coffee, um, and, uh, I remember the first cupping session I ever did, you know, where you break the crust away, you're smelling it, you're sipping it, uh, and you feel, you feel so weird. I remember the first cupping session you did because you're supposed to slurp, right? And I yep. just felt so pretentious. I'm like, are you sure this, and, uh, Nate and, uh, Brian at Quill is like, oh man, no, this is how you do it. And we're mm -hmm. all just making these slurping noises, enjoying coffee, um, which also I think has really helped my palate too, as well, when it comes to the whiskey side of things. Yeah, uh, is doing these cupping sessions there with them. Yeah, do any kind of taste. If it's wine, if it's whiskey, if it's rum, if it's you know, if it's coffee, all of these tastings feel pretentious as hell. But it there's like science behind it, and so it's a real, it's a real, real thing. So we've talked a little bit about cigars, and I think you enjoy cigars, right? So I do. What do you have a utility cigar that kind of crosses the threshold of coffee? and whiskey and just day-to-day -day life or do you have like unique pairings that match each one you know uh not really you know like i said I, I love cigars you know i got a humidor filled of cigars but for me um you know i'm not too big and or i'm not too worried about does it pair well does it not pair mm -hmm. well um but i will say one of my favorite absolute pairings is our double oak small batch uh i was at davidoff in tampa florida Mm -hmm. And Tommy there gave me this Tiger Stripe. It was like a $45 cigar, most expensive cigar I've ever had. Gave me this Tiger Stripe cigar, uh, Monte Cristo. And it was, I still think about that pairing. Like I'll never reach that satisfaction probably again. Mm -hmm. uh, so that has been like one of my favorite pairings. So usually, like I said, if I'm going to go with coffee, I'm doing like a light to medium body cigar. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm doing whiskey, I like something a little bit heavier. Um, a little bit darker too when I'm when I'm pairing with whiskey, but coffee. There's nothing better than uh, French press with like a, just a little. I love a captain's roll as they call it, or a box press. Uh, uh, both same thing. Uh, those are probably my favorite kind, though. All right, now I'm I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I still have multiple ways to kind of run on this, and we're running an hour, so. If you need to leave, tell me. You're like, hey, I gotta go. I got things to do. You've got a, you've got a fantasy lineup to kind of keep track of and make sure you're winning today. I assume because you said you were setting your lineup this morning, and I, um, 
Assume that's oh, a no, fantasy I, football situation. I'm still got, I still got about 30 minutes, man. I, I'm good. Okay. So I think I read correctly. You came from bartending. Is it right? Like you were doing mm-hmm. some bartending. Um, what is the best whiskey cocktail that you can think of that is not super hyped already, right? Like the, the, is, is there a hidden gem of whiskey cocktails that everybody's uh, sleeping on? You know, I don't know. If, I don't know if you would say it's a hidden one, but my absolute favorite that I make at time, make at home all the time, is a war date. I love a war date, and it's really simple. It's just bourbon, orange juice, lemon juice with a little bit of grenadine. Um, but I like my acidic with my with my bourbon. I like mm-hmm. the, the fruit and stuff like that. Um, to me, I think that should be uh, on more cocktail menus because you really don't see it out. You know, it's just your typical old-fashioned Manhattan, things like that. And I'm a secret lover of Aperol spritzes. Like, people make fun of me all the time because I go out and I order those at the at, at the bars or restaurants. But that's another good hidden gym cocktail, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a good bourbon or rye cocktail, man, you, you can't beat a good Ward 8, in my opinion. And uh, Barn 8, it's a restaurant here. Uh, Randy runs their cocktail and beverage program. They have some of the most unique uh, cocktails um, out there. I can't think of off top hand um, some of them, but I'm telling you what, if you, if you live in Louisville, Kentucky, and you have not been out there, you need to go out there and check out their cocktails because talk about uh, unique and like one-of-a-kind cocktails that she curates out there. Did you say, and that's, you said Barn 8? Barn 8. Um, Barn it's like 8. Hermit, Hermitage Farms um, is what it sits on, and, it's just, it's fantastic. Okay. So, and so I'm, I have a, I have a work trip. I'm going to be in Louisville in February. Um, what's, what's the bar that I take the people that I, that, that I'm going to be meeting with and be like, all right, now this is the, this is the thing that is not the tourist bar, not the fourth street live, like a genuine good place to have a, a beverage while not being an asshole. Uh. I say either Barn Eight, but like I said, I always tell everyone if you're coming to town, you want uh, a good restaurant, Bourbon Bistro. Jason Bronner is like the OG of the whiskey world, right? He was doing barrel picks, all this stuff before it was ever even a thing, before it was ever cool to be involved in bourbon. And they have a one-page menu. I'm very indecisive as it is, um, so being able to have a one-page menu and know that everything they do on this menu, they do very well. They mm-hmm. do these Parmesan grits with deep fried oysters, like pickle red peppers. They have a, a pork chop, uh, their steak fritz, uh, just everything on there. And it's, uh, it, it really is. And what I love about it is, um, I hope I'm not bringing like more popular or making it more noticeable because what I love about it is like a little a bit of a hidden gem mm-hmm. in Louisville. And there's people from the industry that always stop up there. You're liable to go see Bernie lovers up there. Um, Stephen Fonte. I mean, you just never know who's going to be in there dining, eating, sitting around, and they have a great selection too. You know, and I'll say this: I I will go even knowing that Bernie might be there um, if it's just me. But I was at uh, an event um, at oh, you were at the same event. We were both at the same event. I just realized this, right? So the the Heaven Hill event that Jack had um, oh, for Afrofusion. Yeah, uh, my wife was there with me, and she now has an infatuation with Bernie Lovers. Absolutely infatuated with him. So I won't go if she's with me because <laughs> I'm trying to keep this marriage safe. Um, Hell of a guy, man. He can play a guitar too. I, I so I was at uh, I was at Whiskey Weekend Batch Four, and he was one of the guests, and he got up there and he played for a while, and 
um, just super, super fun event, fun guy. And my wife, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I've got a Reno tattoo and he pulls up his sleeve and I'm like, all right, well, this is it. I'll just go home now. Thanks, man. This is the best. Um, but we were at, we were at the Kentucky bourbon festival. He was there as well. And I kind of sent my wife a message. I'm like, Hey, he's here. She was sitting in the VIP area, just like reading a book. Cause she doesn't really care about whiskey. Um, anyways. Um, so bourbon bistro, it's on the list. You don't have to worry about it kind of getting out because I only have like nine people that are going to watch this. So it's, it's not, it, you're not, you're not going to have any too big of concerns. Most of the people that are in chat are, 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 are it. Like I said, um, I take all my barrel groups there. When they come in town, I'm like, hey, y'all want to grab bike each night? It's like, we got to go to Bourbon Bistro. All right. So you collect vinyl. Is that right? I do. I do. I have a vinyl record player down in my office. So when you come in and select the barrel, I got a whole selection of records we can put on as we taste through barrels. Uh, I'm just, I, I love, there's something just about the sound of it. What's the, what's the genre for you? Like, what is the key genre of vinyl or is it, do you have like kind of a wide uh, collection Ooh. of stuff? I have a wide collection of stuff because I, what really got me into it sadly is um, when my, I had some family members pass away. Right. And I mm-hmm. got like their whole collection. Yep. Um, I had two of my uncles pass away and I got both of their stereo systems. So we're talking like they kept it in print uh, uh, condition uh, I got like four big old subwoofer speakers connected to it. And um, I had all these records. So, I mean, it took me weeks to go through these records and like sort them out. But I tell you what, man, I love good classical or uh, my grandma had what it's called the swinging years. And mm-hmm. that's like one of my favorite records to put on, on the vinyl. Or um, I have another one called Sounds or Music from Marlboro Country. And it's like the theme music to the Magnificent Seven, like a bunch of like Western movies. That is just a, another good one to throw on there too. I love that. That is so that this, you you touched on a thing for me. My, my brother and I have a regular conversation. Um, there is nothing in my parents' possession that I'll ever fight him over, except for my dad's record collection. And I told I told him I was like. If you try to take the records, I will burn your house down. Like just, just know that. Like I won't not with him in it. Like I'm not trying to kill it. Just like there's a message here. So um I, I get that. I, I I enjoy records as well. It's there's there's something about the analog nature of it. There's something about the warmth of the sound. Um it's it's just pretentious as hell, and I acknowledge it, but I don't I'm care. Okay with it. I yeah. don't care, you know. So what? It's still fantastic. And when people come over and they're like, oh, we had some guests over last night. And they were like, hey, can I look at the record? Yeah, look at it. Like, you want to play something? Let's play it. That's what it's here for. The same as the whiskey. You want to drink it? Let's drink it. Um, oh, I'm so proud to show it off when people come to the distillery. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, like, go go over there, pick a record out. And we'll, we'll taste through some barrels. Like, uh, it's just, it's a different experience. What? So you, you've got there. Is is the Marble Country the the go to record or like if somebody says ah just put something on like what's the first thing you kind of throw on the platter and let it spin? Um, I would say probably either yeah, uh, music from Marble Country because I mean it's just a classic. It's so good. Um, or I'll put on I'll put on my swing music man on there. Uh, and that usually it's funny. I usually take people back so because a lot of people are like oh my god I remember listening to you know this as a child with with my grandparents so. Uh, Mm-hmm. I always try to find something other people can relate to, too, and that's usually always the oldies. Michael Jackson's another good one to throw on. You know, yep. if you haven't listened to Beat It on, on vinyl yet, you know, and that, that bum, bum kicks in, man, it's just it's a different uh, different feeling. 
Yep. And, and you're getting the, you, you mostly you're getting the people who are going to connect with that, you know, but we're, we're coming up on like a, an age where, uh, people are kind of aging out of understanding Michael Jackson and, and they're, they're looking for things that are slightly later, uh, music wise, but luckily there's a resurgence in vinyl and you can get those things too. You can get just about anything on, on vinyl. Um, if you're sitting at home, what do you pair? Like you, you're sitting at home, you, you want to sit down, you want to listen to a song. Kings of, Kings of Leon, man. That's usually oh. my, one of my first records I throw on here, dude. Uh, I, I fell in love with them, you know, through their old stuff. And I saw them at Bourbon Beyond this past weekend, mm-hmm. front row. Uh, but yeah, it's usually one of the good ones I throw on, especially if I'm at home cooking or, you know, um, trying to catch up on some emails and things like that. Just Kings of Leon every day. You know, and I'll say this just as a, as an older person, cause you, you're significantly younger than me. Um, I felt triggered by bourbon and beyond's lineup for Sunday because that was absolutely my era of people. And they put it on Sunday when they're like, ah, we know the old folks will be well rested up. They can show up <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon, listen to some fantastic music and, and, and still be okay. Like this is what it felt like to me, but I also, and I was doing bourbon festival and I kind of had that conundrum. I'm like, I'd like to do both, but I'm too old to do both of them anymore. Um, just, they have a fantastic lineup. Doobie brothers killed it. Like mm-hmm. I, even after listening to them, I had to go on and look for a vinyl for Doobie brothers. Cause they sang a lot of songs. Like I had no idea they sang that. Um, but by far the best, I mean, Chris Stapleton was good, but mm-hmm. Doobie brothers. I mean, if you weren't there, it's hard to describe. I mean, they rocked out uh, on Sunday. You know, and and maybe maybe that's what what is attractive about vinyl to me is that there's not a thing that can replace live music. It doesn't exist. You know, I had an opportunity to see John Prine right before he died in a live oh, yeah. setting, right? But I also have the exact same album that he was kind of touring from in vinyl, and it's close, right? Because you can almost hear the breath. There's not the the digital cleanup that happens um, with a CD or an MP3 or anything like that. And you get that vibe, but man, live music, like the, the pandemic sort of sucked because it just took that part away. Man. I, well, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people uh, were doing what they call couch tours, right? Cause they were um, like, uh, they were putting like live music on, mm-hmm. on TV to sit there. That was about the closest you got to experiencing the real thing. The, the only thing I can take from it is a couple of, well, there's a lot of things we can all take from this, this, you know, living at home for a couple of months to, to a year. But, you know, uh, musicians need some type of a thing to happen to inspire, you know, to kind of create this this moment. And you're exactly right. There was a lot of really top quality music that was coming from people's couches, coming from people's living rooms. Um, there's a, an Americana artist that I follow and they just did live kitchen covers. And it was this man and his wife um, playing music every I, think, I can't remember Saturday or Sunday. And they would sit down and they would cover two or three songs and then they turned it into a vinyl album. And like, I'm like, yeah, give me the vinyl album. I want an exact copy of this. And so it created some artistic um, direction, but I could have done without it as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what is that? I forget what it is, but it's the one like where they come into that library and sing. Um, those mm-hmm. artists. I, I forget the name of it. Uh, You're talking about tiny desk concerts. Yes. Tiny desk concerts, man. Like that, uh, was one of the best things ever. I love going back and watching those. You know, that's, uh, th- there's not many things that would make me want to work at P- NPR just because uh, it's just too low key for me, but that's one like they, they, you know, they, they have those tiny get desk concerts and you have amazing artists that come through and play in such a small, concise venue. 
Um, just, just fantastic. But you know, you, you live in Louisville, you get to see a lot of either local or uh, major acts on a regular basis. What's the one that like in the last, we've been able to see music again in the last year. What's the thing? What's, what's the music event that you're like, all right, there it is. It's back. Um, Bourbon Beyond. I mean, like I said, Bourbon Beyond had been canceled. Uh, you know, the first year it was amazing. Second year it got rained out. Then you had COVID and then they didn't do the year after. Um, and seeing everyone, I don't know if you saw like the aerial footage of Bourbon mm-hmm. Beyond, but it was insane. Like there was just people there, um, a lot of music going on. So for me, that's really, and I was like, all right, like it's, it's back to normal where we're, Everyone's out and about supporting um, these concerts and everything. Mm-hmm. And then to me, that was just uh, absolutely fantastic to see the turnout there. Yeah. The the first, uh, uh, my wife and I kind of went back and forth on this. And I have, like I've said before, I have a couple children and they're 11 and 8. And it's like, you know, what's the first concert you take them to? And you hope it's not going to be something that's poppy. Like I'll take them to whatever they want to go see because live music is live music. It doesn't matter. But like I want something to be kind of meaningful in this um, this artist, uh, Drew Holcomb, who's is an Americana artist, they did a Valentine's Day show in 2021. So we're like just right out of the pandemic and it's super limited attendance. It's at the Ryman in Nashville, which is like this, you know, just beautiful place to see music. And it was their first show after being locked at home for over a year. And it was the best, you know, like it was, they, it, it was an intimate moment. It was, you know, it was fantastic music and it was a connection with people. You know, there's there's something about that. Oh, 100 percent. Just uh, the experience, everything, you know, it's just uh, it's, and it all involves to the people you're with, the time you're having, like everything plays a factor um, when you're out there listening to live music. You know, um, I took my mom and two of her girlfriends to see ZZ Top at the Iroquois Amphitheater like two weeks mm-hmm. before he passed. You know, the uh, what's name passed away. And that was just a, a once in a lifetime for my mom, for her friends, and for me to sit there and experience, you know, music she loved growing up and being able to take her to a, one of her uh, favorite bands. Yeah, I, I, I got the opportunity to go watch Eric Clapton in Nashville with my dad, who's a huge Eric Clapton fan. And it was the first tour where he started playing things like cocaine again because yes. you know, he had a drug problem. He stopped playing them. And the first tour, he starts playing them back. You know, dad's like, hey, you want to go to this? I'm like, absolutely, I do. Like, you know, I, I, I know what the audience, but yeah, we're going to go watch it. And it was a great concert for me, but I could tell it was a better concert for him. And yeah. it's one of those things you can just kind of lock up forever. Uh, I guarantee he had flashbacks, you know, being a kid or, you know, uh, back in his high school days. Like, oh, my gosh, I, I remember listening to this in the car. <laughs> I, I can tell you the exact moment that I know the nostalgia hit him because we're, we're sitting there. He's maybe three or four chords into cocaine, and I immediately smell exactly what you expect to smell <laughs> in any concert venue while he's playing cocaine. And I look over, and my dad has his eyes closed, and he's just – just smelling the air like he's it's it's hitting a tone for him and he's not that guy anymore you know like all the hippies grew up and became business people you know like they started wearing suits and he did all the yuppie things and but for that like four and a half to ten minutes he was just connected and i'm like you've never admitted to it but i but, know no. now i and, know and same thing it's, it's funny you say that uh about him just smelling it's the same thing you can take that mm-hmm. with whiskey you know it's always said like don't necessarily think of like what you're tasting but like when you taste like where does it take your mind um or like when you're smelling it you know we always say like 
Caleb will always reference like being back at the farm and things mm-hmm. like when he's smelling tapes and stuff. So uh, that's just another way you can kind of interject those same two things. T- tasting is a is a weird thing, and it's it, the the memory trip of it. And I've done I've had the opportunity. I started collecting whiskey with this idea that I was going to have like have people over and we're going to do a tasting at the house. And you know, I've got all these bottles. And then I had kids, and I learned about like there's daily clean, and then there's like clean when people are coming over. And I'm like, God, that's a lot of work, you know. So. And then the pandemic hit and it gave me an opportunity to just like send, give some samples to friends. And then we all hopped on zoom. And so we were able to do a tasting again. And that's the thing I always pushed them is like, how does this trigger a memory for you? And I was in a, a, a work on a work trip and we were kind of, you know, just kind of passing around some whiskey. And I hit a note that reminded me of like the late eighties. If you bought a new pair of tennis shoes, they always had leather and they had a distinct leather smell to them. And it hit, and I loved that smell um, because we didn't get, like, new shoes on a regular basis when I was a kid. And so, like, when you did, it was like an event. It was like a whole vibe for you. And I told the guy who brought the whiskey, and he was just completely angry about it because that wasn't a good smell for him. Yeah. And so I I spent the rest of the night being like, listen, I'm trying to tell you, like, this unlocked, like, a core memory of nostalgia that is good for me, um, and that's okay. And, And that's what I... I think that's what makes whiskey interesting for for most of us and in coffee and cigars is that they can hit those 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 memory bones and they just kind of resonate. You know, every bottle I have open, um, I can tell you when I opened it, who I was mm-hmm. with. Um, so like I said, just all about the experience, sharing it, enjoying a pour of somebody, whether it's having a cigar or a drink. You know, there's just it's just more than just, in my opinion, um, than just buying a bottle and, and, and drinking it. Uh it's meant to be shared, enjoyed with people. And, you know, that's, that's some of the best things. Like I love, I love a good bottle kill, you know, like when you, you empty out that yep. bottle and you're with a bunch of friends and you're like, you know, it's just, it's about the conversation and everything else. What do you do with your bottles whenever you're done with them? Cause this is the conundrum that I regularly have is like, it's a, it's a vessel that has memories with it, but I can't, I don't have the ability to store all of the empties and the full bottles. <laughs> You know, I always tell people, if I can find a way just to say, hey, like, if I can find a way to start a company in business to taking all these whiskey bottles, I mean, I can make a fortune just on my friends alone, probably, and people I know, like, send me all your empty bottles, uh, whether it's yeah. recycling or doing something with them. Um, but, you know, a majority of them, it's sad to say, I will keep some. You know, I was like that that college dude that had all his empty bottles yep. and finally I was like, you know what? I got to start throwing some of this stuff away or it's just, I'm going to be a pack rack. I'm going to be that guy that has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of empty bottles around this place. So mm-hmm. uh, sadly, man, just to recycle them, you know, take, take them to the recycling centers who they can do with them. Um, or I know people, uh, a lot of teachers now, like art teachers, we have stopped by and say, Hey, any empty bottles? I love doing art projects and stuff with my students. So, I always try to put a feel out, see if anybody needs some empty bottles, whether it's to make candles, lamps. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are doing all types of wild stuff now with empty bottles. Yeah, I have a coworker that does lamps, and so he'll be like, hey, if you got empty bottles, give me give me a bottle, and I'll, I'll give you a lamp back. I'm like, man, I I don't need 100 lamps in my house. Like, <laughs> I, I have a couple that, that are meaningful, but I don't need like 100 of these things. You know, he's, he's, he's doing a, a fantastic job. And so I've started just collecting the corks like a wine snob. Like I got all the corks. You know, most of them have, a, you know, something emblazoned on the top or whatever. You know, if you get like a castle and key, you can kill somebody with the top of that bottle. My God, uh, can you? And the Frank August, I don't know if you've had their bottle. I, I've seen it. I haven't held one in my hand, but I've seen it. And it Great looks like stuff, a monster. Man, but 
their cork is the real deal too. Mm-hmm. It's like a borderline, like it's it's a murder weapon that should be in Clue. Like if oh, you were yeah. playing Clue, like you know, in in the conservatory with the Frank August bottle top. All right, I don't know that I've got any more questions. I think that I've kind of burned through everything I've got. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? Um, you know, uh, just a little bit about you know this upcoming weekend. Today is September twenty fifth. Um, you know, this coming weekend we have Bourbon on the Banks here in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, we get a uh, me, Alan Bishop, uh, Hunter mm-hmm. Coffee with Three Boy Farms, Kelly Tennille. Uh We went out to Wilderness Trail. And we did a, a barrel pick with Macaulay, which if you haven't met Macaulay, one of the best dudes and smartest dudes in the industry. He's out there with Pat Heiss and all them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we picked um, two barrels and he let us do a blend. It's the first time they've only done like a four grain whiskey. We picked a wheat bourbon barrel and blended it with a high rye bourbon, um, which will be sold exclusively there at the, uh, at the festival. And then we uh, took uh, 132 pounds of a Papua New Guinea bean and put it in a wilderness trail barrel that they're going to start selling in their gift shop too as well. So we got a specialty coffee rolling out for wilderness trail. Uh, plus we're doing a specialty coffee for bourbon on the banks and one of the barrels that we picked to there for the festival. Um, so if you're around this way and want to come down and see something really cool, um, I'll be down there with Staven Bean, me and my business partner, Corey, will hand out samples of coffee, roasting mm-hmm. some stuff, making espressos, lattes. So, uh, make sure if you haven't purchased a ticket, you should definitely swing in there um, and check it out. You know, and I completely saw the the Alan Bishop thing and just it slipped my brain because um, Alan was either the first or the second interview that I ever did on this podcast. And I, that was one of the most fun conversations I've ever had. And I think oh, I after it was over, like I killed the feed and then we talked for like another 30 or 45 minutes. He's just a super, super interesting character. Um, so and then um, Macaulay, is that? Uh, bourbon swami on like instagram or whatever oh yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah so he you know if if he watches this like i got an email to you you know I'm, I'm i'm trying to get a hold of you but they did a they did a a he and Haley did a uh, a blend for kentucky bourbon festival last weekend i don't man, know if you had got, that or not it's i got it on my i got it in my kitchen counter right now man it's fantastic so stuff him it's and Haley, just, like they do a great job it's so good like i you know i I got the eight-year bottled and bond whenever it came out. You know, I had a friend that went to the distillery, picked a bottle up, shipped it down to me, and I was like, "Okay, look, they can't. They're like, this is just phenomenal. It's, you know, it's a phenomenal bottled and bond product. Eight years, it's awesome." And then um, at the festival, I'm like, ah, "I'm going to buy this because I know it's going to be good. fantastic." And sh- and shout out to Angie Winning who put together that fantastic team to go to Wilderness Trail and kind of mm-hmm. helped put on Bourbon on the Banks. Um, just another great guy uh, that if you haven't met him or follow him, yep. definitely check him out. Uh, he used to be, what do they call those? Um, subtle like fossil and rocks, man. He's just, a, he's a funny dude. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they've got the, uh, what is it, the, the, um, it's the mud fossils that they're after on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. They, they love their mud fossils. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll plug this one last thing. Um, Bourbon Turntable, fantastic uh, podcast that exists. The episode that you did yeah. with them is, is a great episode as well. Um, you know, I, I usually listen to a lot of things, but I was already subscribed to them before I ever even was going to talk to you. And, you know, they've got a lot of stuff and they talk about Anzi on a regular basis. Anything from that group, um, it's just fantastic. 
just yeah, fantastic. Kevin, another just another nice dude, giving mm-hmm. the shirt off his back. Um, shout out to Benji Benjamin. You know he uh, yep. followed his dream, and now he's out there distilling uh, out at Kentucky Artisans. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, just shows you don't ever give up if you want to do something, man. You know, uh, don't be afraid to make that jump. And that's you know, the, I, I was I was talking with. Um, Aaron from Smoke Wagon, and that was one of the things that he said. He was like, man, you want to do a thing, go do a thing. And I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. He was like, you know, it, it's never too late to try a new experience or event or career or whatever. Um, yeah. And the, the industry is just, it's, like I said, it's so, it's, even though we are all competitors, I always tell people, everyone's like, oh, you get along with other people from distilleries? I always tell people, I was like, just like we, we all get along fine. I said, it's the marketing teams that don't like each other, you know, right? They're like, right. Don't tell Wait. people this, don't people that, but uh, and I say that jokingly, but well, I mean, it, they, they do, but they also it feels like a, a like a, like a friendly competitive environment, you know, like where you're not gonna like you know just like spit at each other whenever you're out in public. You're still gonna have drinks at the bar, but you're also trying to beat that person, you know? and yeah. that's exactly what it feels like. Any you know, I've been able to be at events for events for Heaven Hill or for Buffalo Trace or for smaller distilleries as well. And it's the same vibe everywhere. And it doesn't fit any other corporate culture in America. It's, it's no. unique. And a great example is that is Heaven Hill, the 97 uh, fire they yep. had there, right? I mean, that could have pretty much almost put them out of business. And you had distilleries giving them barrels, uh, making whiskey for them until they kind of got back on their feet. Where, you know, like you said, in most corporate settings, they're like, good. Another one, Nick. Like, <laughs> one less competitor. Exactly. One like we could eliminate, and you know, Heaven Heaven Hill is not the biggest competitor in the market. It's not a Diageo or, or whatever else, but it's still a big chunk of money. Like it's a big oh, chunk yeah. of money that everyone could compete for, and I, you know, it feels like they would rather win by winning than win by default. Oh yeah, yeah. So, well, so. um, absolutely thank you for joining me the the anything that goes on with peerless anything that goes on with stave and bean i'm always following and everyone else who watches all 10 of you that watch this or listen to this absolutely should be doing the exact same thing i'll give you a little chance to kind of like run over the places to buy merchandise or product uh yeah i mean uh, like i said you can check us out if you want to check out our coffee it's www.staveandbean.com we uh, free shipping with any purchase. We also have a new coffee brittle on our website from Randy's Candy. She's uh, the cocktail curator and beverage director out there at Barn 8. Uh, she makes a coffee brittle for us. Uh, if you're ever in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, stop by, you know, Kentucky Peerless. We have tons of uh, distillery picks that we do down there. We got our double oak small batch. We have our uh, rum finish down there as well as uh, plenty of other stuff to check out in the gift shop too. Or just come by, stop by and ask for me. I'd love to come out and say hi. Yep. So, and I'm absolutely, if I'm not there before February, you can expect that I'm going to show up and you're going to be like, Hey, you look sort of familiar, but I think maybe I talked to you like six months ago. Um, going to show up for sure. Um, because I, when, when Peerless released their first launch, you know, I live in Western Kentucky and I was like, I may make the drive up there. I'm thinking about doing it. It's like a three and a half hour drive from where I live to, to where Peerless is. Come on and up like, and we'll have a drink. It was, it, and I didn't because I knew what time I would have to get up and I'm, I'm glad I did and glad I didn't, you know, like I wish I had because I would have loved to have had it, but I also, I wouldn't have made it in time. Like they sold through everything so fast and it's impressive what's going on at that distillery. Kudos to you guys and, and what you're doing. Um, exactly the same thing happened with State of Bean on your first run of, of, of coffee. Um, it's all super fantastic. 
thank you. Thank like I said, I never in a million years thought I'd say I'm a business owner. So uh, it was <laughs> definitely, uh, it's been a crazy journey. And like I said, hats off to her. Thank goodness for my business partner, Corey, that really um, saw the kind of like yeah. a bigger picture and uh, really uh, helped amp it up. Like I said, he's more of the brains. You know, I let him take care of all the business stuff. You know, I like doing the, the grunt work, uh, rolling, filling barrels. Um, and doing all that stuff. So, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it without him. You know, he definitely plays a key role into that, into the company. I think maybe you're not taking enough credit because you're saying he's all the brains, but I think you had the initial idea, right? Like you had yeah, the idea. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but, so you got to take some of that credit. He may be giving you some of the business acumen to get it into production, but you get to take some of that credit, man. Like own yeah, it where you deserve it. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, all right. Well, so, so thank you for joining me, John. Um, I'm going to boot you out. We're going to hit the outro here. I super appreciate you giving me, you know, an hour and 20 minutes of your time on a Sunday. You got a fantasy team lineup that's about to destroy whoever your competitors are. Obviously, I know that's going to happen. I'm in three different leagues. I said just one this year, and three leagues later, here I am. Uh, that's the way it works. That's I, I stopped. This is my first year not doing a fantasy league because. Um, I just, I'm, I'm out of time at this point. Like I started this hobby of like doing a podcast and I have two kids that go do things and you know, it's, it's like either that or like be a neglectful father. And so if I'm going to do the neglectful father thing, it's going to be because of a whiskey podcast, not because of fantasy football. <laughs> not because of fantasy football, I like it. Right. Thank you so much. Hey, cheers, John. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellish podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using Embellish Pod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can also be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, and contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.